Welcome to Teaching Brute. Today we're going to talk about something that every teacher should be doing, and all of us do it to different degrees. Some people lip service, and some people in a more ne- more intentional in the practice, and that is differentiation. Yes. So, for starters, I know I have had the experience of doing something which I would call differentiation. I've had some people tell me that it is differentiation, and other people tell me that it's not differentiation. So, just right out on the right out front here, different people have different opinions on what differentiation is. Yes. And what it should look like in a classroom or a specialist classroom. Ultimately, what differentiation should come down to, based on our experiences and the courses we've done, yada yada. We're not saying we're special experts mm-hmm. in this. We're saying this is practical stuff. And when we when we've been in professional development and we've gotten educated on it, it's purposeful, driven instruction to meet students' needs. And to help them reach the next level. Yes. To push them further. In whatever way, shape, or form that looks like. So even if you've got a kid that's already meeting the standard, how are you helping them go deeper? How are you helping them go higher? You don't differentiate just to hit a standard. I mean, you can differentiate for your content, how you're doing things, what the end result of it is. The learning environment can be differentiated. The assessments can be differentiated. Groupings can be differentiated. How you instruct can be differentiated. That's all forms of differentiation. Yes. Um, So what we're saying is, prime example, choice boards. Choice boards can be differentiated, but there's a lot of arguments to say they in and of themselves are not differentiation. Well, I guess it would depend on how that choice board is set up. Right. Is it a choice board of you can read this book, this book, or this book, which are all at the same level? Or would it be something different in terms of you've got a poem to read, you've got a video to watch, you've got um, a magazine to read? I think you can get differentiation in them if you say... If the kid, you want the kids to hit a certain series of goals, mm-hmm. and the product of those goals might change depending upon their personal interest and style, then you might get differentiation inside a choice board. But giving kids a bunch of choices on stuff doesn't necessarily differentiate. No. It's really going to come back to the tasks that you've set. Yeah. So in other words, differentiation has to be intentional. It's an intentional thing. And I know right off the bat, people are going, I know, and that's why I don't do it that much because it takes so much time. I've been doing it for years. It doesn't take much more time once you get into the groove of how it's done. And that's the key, getting into the groove of how it's done. Because quite frankly, anytime we start something the first time, it takes much longer. Yes. So bear that in mind that getting used to it is important. Once you are into it, the results are amazing. Because you are helping the kids meet their needs. Mm -hmm. Helping the kids hit the standards that you need them to hit in ways that are suitable to them. Exactly. And sometimes that's a difference of an adaptation versus a modification. Prime example. Uh, Some kids take longer times to process. So, you need to give them extra time. That's me. That's a differentiation. That's meeting their needs. Uh, I typically don't set time limits on my math assessments. Some of my kids need a lot longer than others. Sometimes I split it up into a series of smaller chunks for those kids, as opposed to 
one big go of 30 minutes or 40 minutes. They might do 10 or 15 minutes. They work on a separate task. And they come back to it later. So what if you've got a kid that after 30 minutes still hasn't finished? Is there a point where you just call it quits on that particular assessment? No, I don't think there's an absolute to that by any stretch. Because to me, a kid can still show you what they know given more time. So if you're test, if you're testing, I hate that word, if you're assessing the kid for his ability to do things in a certain amount of time, sure, 30 mm-hmm. minutes, for whatever your time is. But if you really want to know what they know, whether it's a pre-assessment, a checkpoint, a post, you got to give them the time to do it. I, no, I, I can't remember. I don't can't think of many standards in Canada and the U.S. in particular that require a time-based thing. No, I agree with you on that one. I'm thinking more from the fact that if you're trying to assess standard A and you still have standards B through Z to get through, I'm all in favor of giving the kids more time. I would love to do that. But I, as a teacher, feel constrained because if I give you more time on A, then you've got less time on B. And I think that's where modification comes in play. I mean, if you've got a kid who really is taking an excessive amount of time to do things, then I think you need to, A, modify what you perceive as them meeting the standard. Mm. Um, And that doesn't necessarily mean modifying the standard. That means what their product will look like. Right. And maybe more uh, assessing based on the process than the product. And allowing the process to be where you realize they're meeting an expectation. Uh, I think... There's also, you may need to modify their whole program if it's really extreme. Yes. Where they don't necessarily do all the standards of a grade level. Um, but that's a, but that's, other, a whole, that's, that's a whole other episode. Yeah, and, 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 that, and that we would bring someone else in on that one because neither of us are learning support specialists. Nor would any classroom teacher be in charge of doing all of those modifications and no. making those decisions anyway. And that will be worked in with your administrators, with yeah. your learning support. Anyways, yeah, yeah. But I mean, those, but, but modifying those ways are forms of differentiation. Yes. And those are just two ways to do it. I mean, you might modify on product. Like, for example, most reading standards for most grade level do not say they have to write the standard. The writing standards do, don't get me wrong. The reading's, reading doesn't, which means they can audio record or video record their answers to stuff. I got a couple of kids in my room who, when we do pre and post assessments and checkpoints and whatever, they are showing me what they know through a video recording or through an audio recording. One of my, right. boy, one of my boys doesn't like appearing on screen, so he audio records. Fair. Yeah. I completely understand that. But the way the standards are written, that's totally fine. That's actually quite normal. So it all comes back to how you've designed the tasks. Exactly. And if you on ma- mass teach, can you honestly tell yourself you are meeting the kids' needs? Not to pull the guilt card on this one, but are you? <laughs> because I gotta tell you, I, for prime example, grade three, American standards, and I know people criticize the crap out of the American standards, but in of itself, they're good. I think it's just one of those things that everybody loves to hate them. It's true. But it like Starbucks Christmas cups. Regardless of what design is, everybody loves to hate them. They got the bullseye. So, prime example. Um, uh, RI 3.1 states 
ask and answer questions to demonstrate an understanding of a text, referring explicitly to the text as the basis for the answers. Okay. If you en masse teach, and you've got a kid who doesn't necessarily respond well through writing it, but you're asking everyone in the room to write it, are you really understanding what he's capable of, or she is capable of? Because there's nothing here that says, write down these. It says, ask and answer questions to demonstrate an understanding of a text. I've actually got a student right now who would actually be the complete opposite. For the first three months that I taught him, I thought he was mute. Yeah. Because he didn't say anything. And then after three months, one day he came up to me and he just kind of stared at me until I got the message that he needed me to be down on my knees in front of him. And he whispered in my ear, he had a question. There you go. But up until that point, like... Nothing. Nothing. Yeah. Certain kids need modification. Certain kids need to draw it out. Certain kids need to kind of work through it with manipulatives to show their thing. Some kids need an artistic form of expression to do it. But look closely at your standards and you'll figure it out. And I get that that part might take a bit of time. But you can't, I would be hard pressed to say you can honestly answer whether you know a kid is meeting an expectation. And if you don't, and I don't mean to pull the guilt card on this one, but if you don't, you're not helping them get through school. Fair. I'm not judging and saying those people are bad teachers. I'm just saying you're not meeting the needs of your students. And one of the things as a music teacher, I know that I definitely get pressure for concerts. And when you're doing an ensemble stuff, everybody's playing the same thing. Yeah. But with my younger ones, and we're doing ORF instruments, um, what ends up happening is... I've got kids in grade two that have been doing piano lessons for years. They're well-versed in music notation. And then I've got students who have never taken a music class before stepping into my room and have no idea how to read any sort of music notation. Hmm. So when we're doing ORF stuff, I've got the different lines. So I've got a soprano xylophone line and an alto xylophone line and a bass xylophone line, which is sometimes written in bass clef. And then we've also got the rhythm parts. I let the kids choose what's going to be best for them. So my high flyers, which are going to be the piano kids who've been doing lessons for years, they're going to be choosing probably the bass clef part Mm. because that's going to take a little bit more cognitive function than the rhythm part. And the kids that have never read music notation before, they usually go for the rhythm parts because they're recognizing the rhythms from stuff that we've already done in class. Yeah. So that's one thing that I do. So I'm still meeting everybody's on the same song, but the kids have their needs met in terms of being able to work at their level. Yeah. Um, And once they're more comfortable, they're allowed to move on to the next level of part. So I've got kids that maybe have started their piano lessons. And of course, when you're doing private lessons, you tend to move faster than when you're doing group stuff. Um, you know, after a while, they might come to me and say, oh, I want to do this part now. Okay. For the concert, I still may move them back because I need to have enough numbers on everything. But within our class time, absolutely. Challenge yourself. Go for it. See what you can do. Cool. Uh, Homework-wise, well, my lower kids, they don't get homework. Yeah. But Good move. my upper-level kids, my band kids, they do get homework. 
and I've got a mixture of abilities in each class. So I'm not one of the music teachers that's blessed to have a beginner band and an intermediate band and an advanced band. Um, they are divided by grade level, which means in each grade level, I've got beginners, intermediates, and advanced. In fact, I had a student in grade eight who has just joined the school and mm. has never played an instrument before in their life. Oh, cool. So we're now, like, they're super beginner, whereas everybody else has been playing their instrument for a couple years. Hmm. Everybody gets a different line to be learning. And nice. once they learn that line, and I typically expect that it will take them 15, 20 minutes, they're allowed to go and play whatever they want for the rest of their practice time. Hmm. So works. they can go and find a piece of music, whether it's within the program that we're using or somewhere else, and be working on that. And every once in a while, I'll ask them to play and be like, what, what have you been working on? What yeah. kinds of stuff are you liking? And, you know, they'll, they'll play it for the class and we'll do that kind of gets built into all our, our reflection and stuff like that. But that is one of the ways that I'm differentiating with those kids. Very cool. Uh, my homework is a bit more straight, like, in terms of its typical classroom stuff. Um, if I've got some high flyers in math, I will give them more advanced work to work on. Middles, the middle ground kids work with the program that we do we, we use here in school. And the kids who need support, they might get the same homework but modified. Two or three questions instead of eight. Hmm. Um, or they might get tweaked numbers on their uh, work. Typically similar, so I can see the standards still hit, but... Just modified numbers, modified work. Uh, if kids who need more time, if I, if they can work on it at home, I allow it. Uh, some texts they write, I will occasionally allow them to work on at home, but not all of them, because I don't want mom and dad to help. I need to see the independent work. Mm -hmm. But if I can allow mom and dad to help, I'll communicate that with them and say, hey, help them out. Throw them, throw them a bone. So, yeah, that tends to work. So we've talked a lot about differentiation, and... Andrew and I are both in classrooms where we are in a one-to-one -one environment with technology. Yes, we are. Which is great because that actually opens up other doors for differentiation. So if you are in that situation full-time or part-time where you have access to um, technology, then here's a few other things that you could be looking at to help. Yeah. No, I think right off the bat, I'm going to clarify this depends if you're an iPad or a MacBook school or a Chromebook school, whatever. Um, the general ones that any of them, any of them can use would be ones like Google, Google Classroom. Mm -hmm. Sending kids different assignments based on the levels they're at. Yep. Um, Nearpod can be done with anything. Nearpod is a pre free presentation tool. Um, you create and design lessons. Probably better for middle, for, for if you specialize in one area because it takes a fair bit of time to create one lesson. So to deliver it once and that be the one-off oftentimes is not necessarily worth the time commitment. Yeah. But if you're doing it with multiple sections of one grade, it might be worth it. Uh, ClassKick is another one. What's ClassKick? ClassKick allows teachers to see every student iPad screen pri and privately. Uh, Apple Classroom does a very similar thing. Uh, and it allows you to basically tar differentiate and target. I, I think I made reference to it earlier. Not, not, not ClassKick, but the idea of checking the kids' iPads right, to kind yeah. of meet their needs. Um... I would add into that, um, although I don't think it works on the iPad, but Hapra yeah. is absolutely fabulous for that if you're in a laptop environment. Yeah. Um, and they have an area called Workspace where you can 
put up what the standard is and um, different things that you're like the different tasks that the kids are doing, yeah. they can work through and attach their evidence specifically to the standard that they're working on. Okay, yeah. So, you know, it's one of those things where you can see that they've, you know, attached a piece of evidence for a, uh, one particular standard in a single lesson, and then the next lesson it took them two, three lessons to work through and attach the evidence. Yeah. Um, there's, a, there's a few others like study.com, which allows for a bit of differentiated instruction. Um, Khan Academy, mm-hmm. uh, if you're going for the math route, and Rocket Math. There's a few other math apps. Typically, if you've got one of the better ones like Khan Academy, you can individually send certain kids some standard grade-based work they want to work on if you're standards based yep. school. If you're not, you can send them topics to do, and that way you can literally differentiate your class just by sending them certain topics. Um, on the- Kahoot, an interactive quiz one. Yep. Create different quizzes for different groups of kids. Flipgrid is a really good, <coughs> excuse me, short um, video-based one mm-hmm. where you can allow, send one question out to a group of kids and allow them to respond in whatever way, shape, or form. Typically done through video on Flipgrid, so bear that in mind. Yeah. Um, Prezies are good, but massively cumbersome in terms of creation. So Same you might want to keep pod. that one, like, you know, middle school and upwards. Yeah. On the music end of things, um, looking at the elementary, primary, uh, Quaver music. Yeah. I mean, that's a that's a full curriculum, but you can send things to students individually. Uh, Smart Music is also a good one. Now, they've got two different versions. I've only got experience with the classic version. Okay. But they've got a new um, online version called New Smart Music. Yeah. Couldn't tell you. It's it's got a slightly different look and feel now. They've kind of done a lot of tweaking under the hood, so I'm not quite sure how well that one works out. Cool. And there's a few that I want to highlight a lot because I use them in my classroom regularly. For drawing, you've got a bit of a progression situation. If you don't want to, if you don't want to screencast, the progression that I would use would be start little kids on educations mm-hmm. as they get higher. Third grade, explain everything. Higher again, sketches. These are iPad apps. Sketch is the most complicated one. It has the most different types of pens, tools, drawing, mark, drawing, creative. But sketches can't screencast. That's oh. your hitch. In terms of screencasting software, you got the two biggies, educations and explain everything. Those two allow you allow kids to ver- verbally and visually show you what they're doing in a drawing way. Now, you're go- a lot of people are going, Seesaw also does that too, and you're right. And I want to highlight Seesaw even more than all of them because I use it as my online portfolios. Kids are on it every single day, posting and taking pictures of everything they do. I send them math activities left, right, and center through it. I love Seesaw. It allows for differentiation in a hundred different ways, whether it's sending kids different styles of problems, allowing them to respond in different ways, mm-hmm. whether it's through a short screencast. Screencasting software isn't as complicated or as complex as explain everything or educations. Yeah. So bear that in mind. That's why I mentioned those two first. Um, it, 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 it's, to me, one of the definitive online differentiation tools. And it makes things so transparent with parents. It does. And it, I got to say, as somebody who does use it, not as much as you, um, it is the easiest thing for your youngest students to use. Yeah. My kindergartners, my five-year-olds, 
are able to use it. Yeah, it's and kid-friendly. yes, it is something where with my third graders, I show them once and off they're off and yeah, running. Exactly. My kindergartners, not so much. Yeah. You know, we had to we have to work into things. We have to work up to it. Um, so the first thing they posted, it wasn't it wasn't a screencast. It was just a picture. Yeah. Bear in mind, I started <coughs> I started using it back in August, and. At first, I had to coach them through things and show them how to do things. Mm-hmm. Now it's February when this is being recorded. Um, I can now just simply tell my kids, okay, guys, um, I want you to post where you're at with your informational texts. And they, for the first thing they're going is, it's not written yet. Cool. Still, I want parents to see the process. Go post a picture on Seesaw, publish it out, put a comment underneath it. I don't need to instruct them how to do it. They all know how to do it now. It's yeah. February. We've been doing it so often. So oftentimes, my just telling them three things. Post a picture, t- you get your literacy notebook, your writing notebook, post a picture of where your writing piece is, put a comment a- on it somewhere that tells your parents what it is, three things, and they're off to the races. And you know what? Sometimes I've got kids who are doing that without me telling them to. Yeah, yeah. So I did have, you know, popping up on my teacher account, you know, please approve posts in class 2A. And I'm like, why would I be post? What's in 2A? And sure enough, some of my kids, we had been using iPads that day, and they automatically did a posting, even though I hadn't actually said to. Yeah, because Seesaw can be logged in just like Google can, so they can do stuff from home if they want to. Um, And the other one I want to highlight is specifically more so for classroom teachers than anyone else, called Newzella. Mm, I've heard about this. Yeah. Um, It's an online resource for leveled reading. So... If you are doing opinion pieces, informational pieces, doesn't matter. I'm just using those two as an example. You can do it for fiction pieces too. And you want to give all the kids the same article. You can because they level it. Aha. So basically, so, you, they do now, do they already have the articles or do you give them the articles? No, you, they already have them there. Okay. Prime example. Uh, we were analyzing a text about cats' tongues because they're unique. If you don't know that, they're unique. Look it up. Uh, they had five different versions of the same article with different lexile levels, different reading levels, Mm. but it was the same content, same major main idea, same point. So I was able to print off five or six versions of this, three or four copies of each, and give it to my kids. The kids who needed the lower ones... They got it. The kids who needed the highest ones, they got it. So they are all able to relate to the same text, but with a different style of reading. So a a way to read to their level. Right. And the best part about Newzella is the basic stuff that's free is pretty much what you need. What about something... don't tell them that. (laughs) But you can find, you can print off, download the Lexile leveled articles on a free account. Now, there's a lot of cool advantages to the paid account. Don't get me wrong. We don't have paid accounts. But there's a lot of cool stuff you can do. But at the bare basics, it's awesome. What about something like um, Braz Kids or Raz Tumble Ki- Books? Raz Kids. And I, I'm not so terribly familiar with Humble Books. Raz Kids is used in our learning support here at our school. And it's awesome. And the kids love it. And they're engaged mm-hmm. in it. And we can see their learning progressions. And it's really cool. So I highly recommend Raz Kids, especially for kids who are in learning support programs. Yeah, for sure. All right. All right. Well, that's all we've got for you on differentiation at the moment. Yep. 
As always, if you had found something interesting, please share this out, leave a comment. Um, That's it. Tweet to us. Yep. At Teaching Brood. Have a great day, guys. Bye. Bye.